Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we saw that God, the Holy Spirit, works faith in us through the means of grace, the preaching and the sacraments. And we also confess that Christ instituted the two sacraments, baptism and the Holy Supper. Now why is it important for us to confess this? Well, imagine, imagine that these two sacraments were purely human inventions. Wouldn't they have lost their profound meaning for us? Maybe we would have been okay using these sacraments, interesting symbolic customs in the worship service, but nothing more than that. And their value would have been quite subjective. You wouldn't have further occupied your heart or your mind with it. You would not know how these sacraments would be meaningful in your daily life, especially with regards to, to baptism. The latter would just have been part of the, of the whole picture because not having your child baptized, well, that's kind of strange or not. You will feel out of touch if you don't do it. And beloved, this scenario may sound a bit strange to our ears. But if you ask the average Aussie bloke who says that he, he has been baptized, why he was baptized, the chance is that he wouldn't or she wouldn't have a clue. And many in this country were baptized because that was the custom of the Roman Catholic Church or the Anglican Church where they were members or their parents' members. And people would only come to the church because children or their children were baptized. But for the rest, they would hardly attend a worship service. Maybe a mass. But that's about it. Sure, they wouldn't miss a christening party because... That's where you, again, see your family. It's just like going to a wedding or a funeral. It's all part of, the, part of the big picture of being religious. But in the meantime, life does not change a bit. It does not get any more Christian. And after that one baptismal service, you won't see them in church anymore until the next Christian occasion. Now, we are different. But how do we perceive baptism? What about us? Are we up to speed on the ins and outs of the sacrament? I assume most of us will answer, of course we are. We've been using this for as many years as we can remember. And we've been taught on this. Okay. So... Who first introduced baptism? And when? Maybe you say, well, it was Christ himself who instituted baptism just before his ascension. Okay, true, but what was John then doing at the River Jordan? Who told him to baptize? And was he the only one baptizing? And if not... What is so unique about the baptism Jesus instituted? These are other questions we hope to see 
to answer when I preach to you the gospel, as we confess it in Lord's Day 26 under the theme, by introducing his baptism, Christ promised his complete care for his church. We look at three points. First, his baptism is unique. Second, his baptism implies the work of our triune God. And third, his baptism needs to be utilized. By instituting his baptism, Christ promises his complete care for his church. First of all, his baptism is unique. Congregation, in baptism, we do not get the best wishes from just anyone or anyone who witnessed the baptism. No, it's the Lord God himself who is coming with his promises of care, complete care. Now, that, that sounds good, but why choose baptism to show his care? I mean, we read in Mark 1 about John the Baptist. Did he invent baptism way before Jesus did, before his ascension? He even baptized the Son of God. Why did Jesus allow this to happen? Doesn't it all become somewhat confusing, this baptism thing? Because not far from the place where John baptized, there at the River Jordan, there was also another group of Jews who lived in the stronghold of Masada. They also had a baptism, a so-called proselyte baptism. People who converted from paganism to Judaism or to their cult received that proselyte baptism. And it appears that, that baptism is rather a human invention. Well, it depends how you define baptism. If you only define it as a custom where water is sprinkled on a person's head or, or through submersion, well, then the baptism of Christ seems is nothing new. But if you define baptism as God defines it, then God is the sole inventor of it. Because the baptism applied by John had a completely different nature and meaning. The same can be said of the baptism he administered to Jesus. John himself already announced this. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Mark 1 verse 8. But if the Son of God himself instituted baptism just before his ascension, we do see that he seeks connection with common customs of that time, of his time. And beloved, this is often how the Lord works. He did this before with circumcision. He instituted this as a sign of the covenant for Abram. But circumcision was already common in other nations. But the Lord gives this familiar custom a completely new meaning. We can say to such an extent that he invented circumcision. And the same with baptism. The Lord used a familiar custom at the institution of baptism. John also baptized us as well as the proselytes were baptized. But the new content the Lord gave to it gives it a complete new meaning. 
To such an extent that we can say, he invented baptism. Consider, for for instance, the baptism of John. We call John the penitent preacher. And and look at him. Look at his, his cloak. Jesus discussed John with the people. It was made of, of camel hair. Not an expensive leather jacket, but a cloak reflecting his extremely sober lifestyle as a prophet. Prophet clothing. And his diet, that was sober as well. Locust, meat, and wild honey. And his preaching location wasn't fancy either. The Judean wilderness of all places. A token of desolation. A reminder of the withering and devastating consequences of sin. But it was exactly there where people had to be called to order by God. And the people came from all over the Jewish country and from Jerusalem coming to the desert, to the wilderness, to be baptized by John. For he called them to be baptized. And then, no, not in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. No, people must be baptized with a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So that, was a, that baptism was thus only a sign of penance and repentance. And that baptism was to indicate the remission of sins. That did not mean that those people who were baptized by John immediately received the forgiveness of sins. No, John's baptism, yes, it opened the perspective on the forgiveness of sins. And yet John was not yet allowed to hand out the forgiveness of sins as a merited good. He was only allowed to say, people, prepare yourself for the forgiveness that he who comes after me, the stronger one, the superior one, will hand out to you. So congregation, in essence, the, the baptism administered by John the Baptist is therefore Uh, somewhat of a a weak, a a primitive baptism. Whoever was baptized with this baptism could not yet say with conviction, I have received received the complete forgiveness of sins. He could only say, I look forward to the forgiveness of sins. I also expect it. I can count on it. But I don't have it yet. Because John himself also realized the limitations of his baptism. And that's why he pointed to his superior. It is to Christ. He is so superior that John cannot even untie his shoelaces. An ordinary slave would be allowed to untie the Roman emperor's shoelaces, but John, who certainly was not the least in the kingdom of heaven, was not worth doing it with the Christ's shoes. But let's not forget, this Christ to whom John pointed was not just any Messiah. He's also God. And that's why he may baptize with the Holy Spirit. That is a uniqueness about his spirit. He can, he may give the Holy Spirit to the people. 
the Holy Spirit who, who comes to us and merits us the riches earned by Christ in His suffering. And only then, yes, only then those people have and us have forgiveness of sins. Only then such people will also change as answer 70 of the catechism concludes. Because they are then renewed by the Spirit of God. They become more and more dead to sin, to live more and more a godly and a blameless life. That's the big difference between John's baptism and that of Christ. And so the baptism of Christ and the one he instituted is so much more richer, so much more profound than the baptism of John, let alone the proselyte baptism or any other baptism for that matter. And now with that baptism of Christ, we are also baptized. We therefore do not longer have to look for the forgiveness of sins. No, beloved, because we already have received the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of sins earned on Golgotha 2,000 years ago, we may be God's children. We may belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Christ had earned this forgiveness, then He ascended to heaven. But not after He first gave His church the true and ultimate baptism. Baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that it is this baptism that's still being administered by His servants in the church, internationally, year after year. What then about John? Sure, John the Baptist had been a great and an important figure. The Lord Jesus even says, Matthew 11, verse 11, Surely I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. He was the Elijah promised in the Old Testament. But, uh, Jesus adds, He who is least in the kingdom of heaven, and that's Christ's kingdom, is greater than John the Baptist. So to speak, the most insignificant minister who baptizes after Christ's ascension is greater than John. Because John could not yet hand out the forgiveness of sins. It was not yet deserved on Golgotha. But the most insignificant minister may now hand it out based on Christ's sacrifice, complete for us on the cross. And thus, in our days, a baby or convert may be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so we come to our second point. His baptism implies the work of our trying God. Brothers and sisters, we are baptized in the name of our trying God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of. It's clear that a minister does not baptize on his own initiative or on behalf of the consistory or even on behalf of the congregation. Now he does so on behalf of the Lord himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yet, that he does on behalf of the Lord is not so much reflected in the baptismal formula which we use. 
The formula that says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what is meant here? It is this, that you are baptized on the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A baby or a convert is now registered, so to speak, on the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can compare it with, to, to the registration of your car. When you buy a car, the car is registered on your name. It means you are responsible for the car. You have to pay the rego, the insurance, and all the running costs. And this is what baptism implies in the name of. The Lord God will take complete care of us. He establishes His covenant with us. He connects Himself to us. And not just for a while. For example, for the first few months of a baby's life. Or until you've done public profession of faith. No, the covenant He makes is an eternal covenant. And in that eternal covenant, the Lord commits Himself to our complete care. From cradle to grave. Yes, even after this life. It's the most comprehensive care that you can imagine. For it is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who personally connect Himself to us. And when the Father commits Himself to us, it implies fatherly care to provide us with all good, from food to drink, health, work, etc. And He keeps us from evil. Or make it work to our salvation. And beloved, our Lord is serious about His key. And then He does not choose the easiest way. He puts all His power in and effort in to care for us. Being baptized onto the name of the Son means that He commits Himself to forgive all our sins. And let's be honest, there's quite a few sins and shortfalls in our lives, aren't there? How often and how extensively do we not sin? And sometimes we think, would the tank of my sin not be full by now, running over? I mean, I really messed up now. Or I've lived in this sin for so long now. Or, I've ignored God for too long. Oh, beloved, when the, the Son of God has committed Himself to always forgive us when we ask for it, He means always. Every time we truly confess our sins, we receive a positive answer. And we are baptized unto the name of God the Holy Spirit. Well, He too committed himself to us and not only again in this life but also in the life to come in fact he wants to live in us and he always wants to help us to bat in our battle against sin and he will keep doing it until sin is completely overcome this is what we mean when we are baptized into the name of the father the son and the holy spirit this is how our trying god takes care of us completely but congregation we also need to add if our trying God takes care of us he also claims our lives and he holds us accountable 
There are also demands within the covenant. Think again about the car register on your name for which you pay. You want to be able to count on on this vehicle. To always be there for you, ready and well-functioning. And I know this is just, just an image. But what is clear is when the Lord takes care of us completely, He also completely claims our lives. And therefore we must always be ready to serve Him. To live for Him in a thankful and obedient way. To love Him as our Savior. It's like a king who takes responsibility for his people. His people must also respect his laws and be willing to join him in, in his battle. That's how we need to be instructed by the Lord. And that's all part of his amazing promises and obligations within the covenant of which baptism shows us the truth of it. That's the beauty to be baptized into the name, onto the name of our trying God. The baptism which was invented by Him. Congregation, this also relates to our last point. His baptism needs to be utilized. Congregation, this explanation of baptism as God's promise to complete care for us, His church, does this not sound too good to be true. Well, for many people, it seems a step too far. Maybe they have been baptized, but with baptism and all, they, they leave the church. Perhaps the faith completely and ended up lost forever. Was their baptism then a, a real thing, or was it then simply a waste of water? Well, that is what had been taught in the previous century in the Reformed Churches in the Netherlands in the time of the Second World War. In 1942 to 1944, there was a synod that even forced such a doctrine. A baptism of someone who did not come to faith was not real. It was a waste of water. And many of our ancestors liberated, liberated themselves from this doctrine. That's why we are called the free Reformed churches. We want to insist that the baptism of someone who deserts his faith later in life and to leave the church remains genuine, remains real. It's not just a waste of water. And why? Well, first of all, baptism is not something magical. Baptism is a tool. A sound tool, a true tool with triune warranties. The Lord guarantees that every baptism is really, genuinely usable. You can utilize it. Even for people who at one stage in their lives give up their faith, it's still usable. If that was not the case then baptism would not meet the purpose for which God has instituted it. Then nobody would have ever benefited anything from baptism. It would have just been a custom in the church. Allow me to use an example to explain this. We can compare it to with a five-year extended warranty 
when you buy, for example, a fridge at, at Harvey Norman or, or good, the good guys or whenever, wherever. Now, you can be very proud of, of your extensive five-year warranty. But what are you doing with it? If the fridge stops working after four and a half years, and you've not taken care of your warranty paper, and you've lost it, you can't take a fake copy of your neighbor's warranty of his fridge and think the guys at Harvey Norman, Harry Norman will give you a new fridge. They'll probably laugh at you, or worse, call the coppers. And the same with baptism. To use a lot, utilize your baptism, you must first of all, it must first of all be a genuine one. The one invented and instituted by the Lord Himself. The one that says, You are washed with the blood of Christ. And His Spirit removes your sins from you. Just as water takes away the dirt from the body. And so to utilize your baptism, it must also use this because when when someone is lost with baptism and all it is not because the baptism was not real but then it is because that person didn't use their baptism receive and pray for the forgiveness of sins and renewal of life and the father's presence in his life caring for him or her and think again of the warranty of the fridge. You can be very f- proud of your extensive five-year warranty. But if the s- fridge stops working after four and a half years, and you still have your warranty paper, but you don't pick it up and go back to the shop to get a new fridge, that paper is of no use. And the same counts for your baptism. It should be used to strengthen faith. The Lord God means it every time a child or a convert is baptized. Every time he sincerely promises, you are washed with the blood of the Spirit of Christ, blood and the Spirit of Christ from the uncleanness of your soul. But go now and make use of these promises that have been made to you at your baptism. And how do you do that? Well, it starts with not making baptism some kind of family event. With requesting baptism for your child, waiting for three or six months until the family can all be there. Because baptism is used, first of all, to build up the faith of the congregation, not the family. So the congregation needs to be there. And that's why baptism does not happen during the week or in one of the rooms of the gong. But it takes place here in the church, in an official church service. Everyone should be able to see it. Because everyone has to be reminded of his own baptism. And everyone has again to be encouraged to work with his own baptism again. And how do you continue that working, utilizing? Well, for example... Let's say you've committed a sin. Maybe you've told a dirty joke just to be in with your schoolmates or or your colleagues at work. 
Or maybe you have these, these ongoing dirty thoughts or dreams. But you're too ashamed to tell others. Or maybe you have a bad relationship with your parents or your children for a long time now. But you don't know where to go with it. You may then think and work. Or you may then think, the Lord probably wants nothing to do with me anymore. And that minister in the church, oh, you can preach all about grace, but doesn't say to me much anymore. God is probably fed up with me. Look at me. Look at my life. It's a mess. Or it's maybe one big fake. Beloved, it is exactly in such a situation that a person must work with his baptism. Which means taking hold of God's promises. That Christ washes and cleanses you from even the dirtiest and vilest sins. That's genuine true. It is sealed on your forehead. It's God's watermark on your life and in your life. And maybe your baptism happened long ago. And when you were baptized, you were still a sweet little baby or or a young, strong convert coming to Christ. Then it was perhaps still easy for you to accept God's promises. Maybe, maybe. But don't forget, congregation, the Almighty God knew already then that we were not innocent. That we were all guilty as depraved in sin. He knows our nature. He knew it before even we were born. He knew that we all were worthy of eternal judgment. And the Lord then already knew how we would be later as a student or as a mum or as a tradie or a businessman. And even although he knew all that, he made that promise. I will forgive your sins. He made that covenant with us. Not just for a limited time, but an eternal covenant. And therefore, utilizing your baptism means keep the Lord to his promises. Pray. Tell the Lord. Lord, I cannot save myself. I cannot cleanse myself from my sins. I've tried, but I didn't succeed. And then the Lord keeps his word. For Christ's sake, he washes us from our sins. And his Holy Spirit works again. Faith in us. With an open Bible, he makes us new people. Yes, and then we will live differently. Sure, by trial and error, but we will succeed. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Spirit and of Christ. In such such a way, we must work with our baptism. That's the only way forward with it. Because baptism is not just a decoration that works for one person and doesn't work for another. Baptism is to be utilized by all. And it's guaranteed to be good because of what the Lord said, what He promised. And therefore, when when we use our baptism, when we work with it, and we appear before the Lord, we are never left empty-handed before Him. Because we can always keep the Lord 
to his own promises. And that's what we want to sing right now. Jesus Christ, full atonement made and brought to us salvation. Each Christian therefore may be glad and build on this foundation. Thy grace alone, O Lord, I plead. Thy death is now my life indeed, for thou hast paid my ransom. Amen.